Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. Whenever and wherever you're listening, we just wanted to extend the warmest of welcomes. So kick back and relax as we continue through our sermon series. Well, good morning, Northgate. It is always a, a real treat. Thank you. Um, it's always a real treat for me to be able to come back and to, uh, to speak uh, here and to everyone in the room and those of you who are joining us online. We're just so grateful that you're with us uh, this morning, uh, wherever you're at. And um, I, I don't know if you all know this, and I could never say this when I was pastor, but did you know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month? See, nobody knows that except pastors. Evidently, okay? So, but I could never say it when I was actually pastoring the church because that's kind of like self-serving. But now I can do it and say, you should appreciate your pastors, okay? And particularly this month, okay? You should do it every month, but particularly this month. Um, Pastor Larry just is such a heart, has such a heart for this church family. And um, the whole staff actually works so hard uh, to serve you and to teach and to just all the things that they do. So this week... Send them a little note or an email or just say, hey, I appreciate all that you do because I know it's not easy. All right? Would you do that for me? See, I can do that now. I couldn't do that before. Um, Okay, so we're in the series in Matthew, and uh, I'm in uh, chapter 4. And by the way, if you have got your um, uh, Matthew devotional, we're on page 45, uh, the section that we're going to look at today. And if you haven't picked up one of those, we do have them out in the lobby and encourage you to pick one up uh, on your way out and make sure you have that. So uh, we're in Matthew, and um, I thought, how many people kind of grew up in church going to Sunday school and whatnot? Okay, so we're going to be depending on you this morning to start with, because we're going to have a little bit of a pop quiz. So you didn't know you were going to flunk church. Um, So I'm going to give you a couple of questions, and I'm just going to see, for those of you who Got the Sunday school, okay, all of those years. Let's see how good your memory is. Question number one. How many days of rain fell when Noah was in the ark? Forty. Well, you know, it is Sunday school, so we'll give you a gold star on that one. Uh, Question number two. How many days did Moses spend on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments? Very good. Another gold star. Question number three. How many years did the Israelites wander in the wilderness before entering the promised land? Wow, you guys are on top of it today. Another gold star. Question number four. How many days did the Israelite spies spend in exploring the land of Canaan? Forty. Not bad. I am so impressed you learned your lessons so well. Number five, how many days of warning did Jonah give to the city of Nineveh? Forty. Very, very good. Last question. How many books are there in the Old Testament? (laughs) Thirty-nine. For those of you who have said forty... I'm taking away all your gold stars. (laughs) The number 40 has a great significance in Scripture, and you've probably kind of picked that up already, and it does in the passage we're going to be looking at today. Uh, We're in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, when Je- then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, we read that, and even that first sentence just kind of catches us a little bit, like, wait, what? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil? That doesn't seem quite right. I mean, why would, why would the Spirit of God be leading Jesus to be tempted? Well, you got to understand that word tempted um, because it actually has a much broader definition. The Greek word is parazo, and it literally means to test, to try, or to tempt. So it's got a broader meaning than just temptation itself. It actually has the broader meaning of testing. And, and it's kind of it's two, two sides of the same coin, t- testing and temptation. Because what Satan might do to cause us to stumble and to fall is the very thing that God can use to make us stronger and deepen our faith. And so what Satan might be using as a temptation to, to destroy us and to undermine us, God will actually use as a means of growing us and strengthening us in our faith. It's kind of that, that, that old saying, you know, what doesn't kill you will only make you stronger. You've heard that, right? The idea is the thing that challenges you the most, that's going to actually make you stronger. Uh, we were actually up in Tahoe a couple weekends ago, and I saw this sign, and I just had to use it. Um, what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger except bears. Bears will kill you, okay? So forget the bears, but that first part, that's what we're going to kind of go with today. This whole idea that there's more going on in this story than what's on the surface. There's more going on here than what Satan is intending. Then in the middle of this whole thing, God is at work. And I want you to keep that in mind because what I want to talk to you about today is just some things for you to keep in mind when you go through times of testing. Because you will, if you haven't already, and you probably have. And sometimes it might be a temptation, and sometimes it might just be a long time of testing. But I want to give you some keys to understand and and to kind of keep in mind through all of that. And the first one is this, that times of testing are meant to prepare us. This was a transition point in Jesus' earthly life. From all of his life now, he has been growing up in the house of a carpenter. And he has been plying the trades of a carpenter. And now he is making the transition to becoming a teacher and a rabbi. He's making a transition now between from a private citizen to, to a life of public ministry. And, and we know that from this sentence here, the first sentence, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I want to key in on this word, then. Because that's a transitional word. In, in, in the original writings, now we have a Bible and it's got chapter and verses and it's got numbers. And, and that didn't come along till way, way later. The original manuscripts and the original recordings of this had no chapter and verses. It was just one continual story. So sometimes we got to get hung up. Well, okay, well, chapter three ended. Now we're in chapter four. It's a whole different thing. No, they're tied together. And the word then is so important here because then is that transition word. And to understand what is happening now, you got to go back to what happened then. 
So what happened then? It's what Pastor Larry preached about last week. When Jesus went to be baptized, as he came up out of the water, it says in Matthew 3.16, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. The then is this part right here. That Jesus was baptized, and as he came out of the water, the Spirit of God came down, empowering him for this ministry that he was embarking on. And the affirmation that he got from God the Father, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That he has just received that affirmation from the Father. He has received that empowerment through the coming of the Holy Spirit upon him to launch out into this public ministry. But first there is this time in the desert. And now we come to the 40 days. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, that takes us about two seconds to read. But 40 days... And 40 nights is a long, long time. 40 days ago was Labor Day. Can you imagine if your last meal was your Labor Day barbecue? See, I, I, I'm kind of a fan of these um, survivor programs. Not, not, the, not the hokey one that, you know, that's on network TV. But there's some real good, like real survivors like Bear Grylls. Have you seen any of his things? You know, just out in the wilderness and just surviving and making it work. Uh, there's another program that, uh, that's one of my favorites. It's called Alone. And, and these guys are dropped off, men and women, with limited supplies, and it's the last one standing wins, and they, they never know when all the others have tapped out. They're just fascinating how these guys survive on so little and have to kind of find their own food. Or, or one of my favorites is uh, actually is Naked and Afraid. Don't judge me. I mean, they go in with nothing. And, and sometimes they don't find any food for 31 days. And it's like, so 40 days of fasting, 40 days and 40 nights, when it says he was hungry, that is an understatement. He has gone through these 40 days and he has been handling this test. And, and how he's going to handle this next part of the test is going to make all the difference. By the way, not every, maybe, it may be that every temptation is a test, but not every test comes in the form of temptation. Sometimes, sometimes the tests are those momentary temptations that hit us, you know, kind of out of the blue and, and catch us off guard. But sometimes, sometimes our times of testing are the 40 days kinds of testing that you feel like you're just out in the wilderness And it's a prolonged endurance. And you wonder how you're going to make it. But here's what you need to remember. The times of testing are all about preparation. That God is doing something in the middle of your wilderness experience or your temptation or your testing to deepen you and to strengthen you. Though Satan may may be using it for evil, God will turn it for good because that's what he does. N.T. Wright says this about it. If God is working by his spirit through a person, that person's own life will be increasingly formed by that spirit through testing. 
You know, we put our lives in God's hands, and then we go through a time of difficulty, and we say, well, wait a minute, God, this isn't what I signed up for. You know what? It's exactly what you signed up for. Because this is what God does to prepare you, to strengthen you, to deepen your faith. And those times of testing, where they are momentary temptations or prolonged wilderness experiences, God uses those things to deepen and strengthen us. N.T. Wright goes on. It says, temptations of Satan are not simply trying to entice us into committing this or that sin. They are trying to distract us. See, that's what Satan is trying to do. He's trying to derail us from fully becoming who God created and called us to be. And that's the second thing you need to understand. That when it comes to these times of testing, private victories take precedence over public victories. When you go through a time of testing, you need to understand what is at stake. Because this whole thing was not about bread and hunger. Because we already know that, because at least on two separate occasions, Jesus did provide bread for thousands of people. So we know there was something else going on here besides just hunger and bread. It was something much, much deeper. And it goes to... What God is doing in us through times of testing, who we are becoming. Private victories have everything to do with the person you are or the person you're becoming. And it's it's that very thing that Satan attacks, Jesus' identity. Notice what he says. This This was his words to him, the very first words. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, well, God the Father had just affirmed that. But that's that's where Satan attacks. If if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are who you think you are, if you are who you say you are, then show it, prove it. The very thing that the Father had affirmed and the Spirit had empowered, Satan was going to attack. And by the way, that's often how he works. He will attack you at one of your areas of strength in a moment of weakness. The very thing that God the Father had affirmed about Jesus, my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased, is the very first thing that Satan attacks. If you are the son of God, prove it, show it. And what he's trying to do, and what Satan tries to do with every one of us, is he's trying to get us to get our appetites to override our values. That's really at the heart of just about every temptation. That Satan wants us to believe that our appetites are what define us. Not our values. And most temptation comes at us with this idea to give in to our appetites. Because that's who you really are. When God says something much deeper about us. By the way, Pastor Larry talked about this last week. In Galatians 4, 6, he says, we have been adopted as his children. And because we have been adopted as children, we now have that same spirit living within us. In other words, the very things that that God the Father said about Jesus, he says about every one of us who have put our faith and trust in him. You are my son. You are my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I love you. That's who you are. Satan would try and get you to believe that who you are is your appetites. When God says, no, who you are 
It's those deeper values. In fact, we're going to see a little bit later on when we get into further into Matthew, um, the whole Sermon on the Mount. So many people read that Sermon on the Mount as being just a new set of the Ten Commandments. But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about internalizing all of those things that the, the, command, the Ten Commandments tried to establish from the outside, but couldn't. And so that's why Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say. And, what he, and all of his what I say is about the inner disposition of who we are, our values, because our values are who we are. Testing and temptation is all about mastering the inner game. Who you really are, who you are becoming. And we have seen countless examples over the years of people with great public successes fall because of moral failures because they didn't master the inner game. And the inner game is more important because that's who you are. That's why private victories are more important than public victories. Because if we go along from public victory to public victory, public success, public admiration, without mastering the inner game, we are only setting ourselves up for a fall. And the fall will come. So he says, understand what's going on. Becoming the person that God designed and intended you to be. That's what's really at stake. And the testing that Satan will bring will get you to doubt who you really are as a child of God. It will be an attempt to get you to to give in to your appetites. To doubt that God really cares and loves and will provide for you. And try and take care of it for yourself. To To seek the fulfillment of a deeper need with a cheap imitation. And mastering the inner game is all about private victories over public victories. That 40 days in the wilderness is significant here. Because the choices we make in the wilderness are the ones that are going to either cause us to deepen and thrive in our faith. Or they will cause us to stumble and fall and wither and die. Jesus replied, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, that actually is part of a larger segment, okay? This is just one clip of of quotation from Deuteronomy chapter uh, chapter 8, verse 3. And, and And it goes to the wilderness because, see, remember the Children of Israel had their 40 years in the wilderness and wandering. And what are the things that they, the first things they griped about and complained about? No water, no bread. No water, no food. And they grumbled all about that. And so what, where they failed, Jesus is now about to succeed. And what he's quoting is a bar, larger thing, which comes from Deuteronomy 8. This is what That testing was all about for the nation of Israel. That God humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why does God cause me to go through times of humbling? Why do I go through times of wilderness? Because then he can show his sufficiency. And it's all about teaching us. See, that's what's really at stake. When Jesus responds with Scripture, he's not just 
quoting off a memory verse he got in, in um, Sabbath school. <laughs> he, he, he was a student of Scripture. It was internalized in the way that he taught us to internalize it. Not so that we would have a quick answer when the temptation comes, but that we would be so steeped and, and engrossed in God's word in our lives that we know what the right response will be. And we find the strength in God to make the response that is necessary. It's about, about being immersed in God's ways. It's about mastering the inner game. And sometimes part of mastering the inner game is this whole idea of delayed gratification. Holding out and saving the best for last. And, and you all know that. In fact, those of you who are parents, you know this. When you give your, your child, and, uh, or when you were growing up, when you got a piece of cake, how did you eat your cake? You eat the dry cake first, and what do you save for the last bite? The frosting, because <laughs> that's the payoff, right? That's, that's delayed gratification. That's the principle at work here. That God will cause you to go through dry times sometimes, and Satan will attack you sometimes at your strong point in a time of weakness. But if you can master the inner game and know what's at stake and that the private victory here is going to determine what goes on forward from here as it did for Jesus, then you've mastered, you're beginning to master the inner game. And then the last thing is this, that whenever you face a test, understand you're not alone. Whatever test you might face, you are not alone. Think about this. How do we know this story? Because the only ones that were there were Jesus and Satan. How do we know about this whole temptation experience? How do we know about that? Jesus must have told his followers. It's the only way we would know this. This was a private, this was a private victory. But he told his followers because he wanted us to know. Why did he want us to know? Well, the writer to Hebrews, also writing to a Jewish audience, fills us in on this. Hebrews 2, 17 says, Jesus had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Why did Jesus go through this? Why did he tell his followers about it? Why do we know about this? Because he wants us to know whatever, facing, whatever you are facing right now, whatever wilderness experience, whatever temptation comes your way, you are not alone. Jesus went through it. Jesus experienced he became fully human in every way. And it's interesting that Satan's attack was on that humanity. Because being human, now he could be hungry. And that's where Satan went after him. And, and it's kind of, it's one of those things that, that theologians debate and try to figure out. How could, how could he be fully man and fully God at the same time? And, and there's all kinds of ways of trying to explain it or trying to understand it. And we don't really get it, to be honest with you. But sometimes with all of that, we kind of get to think, well, okay, well, if he was... If he was fully human, but he was also fully God, he really wasn't tempted. Because, I mean, that's not a fair temptation because he was stronger. He was fully God as well as being fully human. Think of it this way. He's the only one who could actually turn stones into bread. 
So for him, it was a real temptation. And it may have been his first, at least the first that we have recorded, but it was not his last. He spent his whole life enduring all kinds of testing and temptation up until the day he hung on a cross. He did that so that he could make atonement. Atonement has to do, if you want to think of it as at one If you divide it up, A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T, at one Atonement allows us to become one again with the Father, to come back and be reconciled with him. And because Jesus, fully human, experienced all the temptation and overcame it, He's able now to make atonement and reconcile us back to him. See, that's the heart of the gospel message. We can't stand up to the testing on our own. We can't overcome temptation on our own. But there is a God who has been tested in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. In fact, that's what he goes on and says. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. We have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Now, one thing I want to point out here. You are not Jesus. (laughs) Chances are you have been tempted and you did sin. Chances are maybe you have failed more times than you have succeeded And you think of that verse that God the Father spoke about Jesus and said, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. And you kind of put yourself into that and it feels more like this is my son whom I love, with whom I'm pretty disappointed right now. And so now, not only have you failed, but now you carry that guilt, feeling like how can I ever, ever consider myself a child of God? Because we have a high priest who can empathize with our weakness. Who made atonement for us. And so the writer of the Hebrews says this. So let us boldly approach God's throne of grace. In God's kingdom, grace rules. Grace reigns what his kingdom is all about so when you stumble and when you fail and you will because you're human boldly approach God's throne of grace and then we will receive mercy the forgiveness of our failures and we will find grace to help us when we need it you might be here this morning feeling like a failure you might be here this morning going through a time of wilderness and you wonder where is God in the middle of all this or how could God love me because I just failed again run to grace run to grace because every time a Christ follower stumbles and fails we have a choice We can continue to beat ourselves up with guilt or we can run to grace. Would you bow your heads with me? Just 
little time of reflection for you. What are you facing right now? Is there a struggle, an addiction, a temptation, or something that you just feel like I just keep failing over and over again? Grace is not just about forgiveness. Grace is about empowerment as well. And you don't have to keep failing. But always know when you do, God's grace and His mercy are there. Or you might be going through that time of wilderness and you're wondering where is God and you feel like you're left all on your own. You are not alone. He is with you in the middle of all of it. And He will carry you through. But wherever you're at, whatever your struggle might be, I'm just going to invite you to just make this a quick prayer of yours today. God, you know me. You know my weaknesses. You know my failures. I can't do this on my own. I need your grace. I need your strength. I need your power. And as many times as I might fail, I will never, never give up on your grace. Because I know your grace will never give up on me. So take me as I am. Empower me for my test, for my struggle. And keep me in your mercy and your grace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And this concludes this week's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed spending some time with us. And if you haven't already, like and subscribe to our YouTube and find us on Instagram at NGATECF. See you next week.